What's up, independent insurance agents? Are you finally fed up with the massive amounts of time, money, resources being allocated to customer service within your agency? Is this causing your agency growth and revenue to become stagnant or even decline? The answer to this frustration is Glovebox, the premier mobile and web self-servicing solution made by successful independent insurance agents just like us, specifically for independent insurance agencies. Guys, this is the only platform with direct carrier connections. Glovebox gives your clients the power to engage within their writing carriers and you, their agency, in a single, easy-to-use platform. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast and get 20% off of your monthly subscription for life, guys. For life. This isn't an intro deal. This is for life. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today. Thanks. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Miami, Florida, first team All-American parade, first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Lewis Gazzatua. How are you, Lewis? I am doing great, Scott. Uh, That introduction never gets old. Thank you for you, sir. Hey, Lewis, I have got, I made a big, big mistake yesterday, and I'm going to go ahead and admit it on the podcast right now. So, you know how in life, Sometimes you almost know when you're making a mistake while you're doing it. And for some reason, you just do it anyway. If you, I know when we're younger, especially when you're a young man, because your frontal cortex is not fully developed until you're like 24 years old, you're just constantly making stupid mistakes, right? All the time. So yesterday, about three o'clock, I was feeling, you know, just tired, just, just couldn't hardly go. And I looked in my, I was in my vehicle at the time and I looked in there and I, and in my, my cup holder, for some reason, I had a five hour energy and I thought, don't take that five hour energy because I'm one of those people. When I take a five hour energy, it takes it about to really kick in about three or four hours. Needless to say, as I'm drinking the five hour energy, I'm telling myself, this is a big mistake. You just screwed up put the bottle down, put the top back on it, threw it away, put it in the garbage. Guess what time I went to bed last night? 2 a.m.? Was try, it that late? Try, try 2 a.m. And I'm just sitting there at like from 12 to 2 in my house in my recliner like, wow, I feel like I could sell insurance right now. I could do anything. It's funny, you, you don't seem, and I've never seen you like the type of person that would need an energy drink. You seem like you're always on on your A game. Hell, you fire me up. So I, I, I'd, be, I'd be a little little nervous you know, if I was around you when I saw that five hour energy drink, when you talked about regret, it's funny. You talked about things you think about and things you're going to regret. I thought you were going to talk about your golf swing or at least no. my golf swing. No, that, no. That, that's exactly what I think about. Unfortunately, <laughs> trying to get better at it, but you know, when you want to, you know, don't look up, right. Don't look up, keep your head down and do the opposite. That's exactly my golf game right now. Well, I have a lower back injury from my Marine Corps days. Again, doing something stupid that I shouldn't have been doing at the time. And I, I have a herniated disc in my lower back. And so I, I played golf. I even tried to play some when I got out of the Marine Corps. And it got to a point to where playing 18 holes of golf because of the way the motion where you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're really stretching, bending your back a lot. The day after, I literally could hardly walk. I was like, you know, need to be in traction. So I had to get, I had to give up golf. I just, I don't play anymore. I was never great. I got down to where I could hit, I could shoot, you know, high eighties, low nineties most days. That was that's a, great. That's well, that was great. about the best I ever got, and that was only for a period of about six months. And then one day, I just was like, this, this isn't worth it for me to just walk around sore all the time. But I well, wish, look, I, I wish I could play. I mean, but look at the bright side. Think about how much money you're saving. Right. Right. I mean, and time. And that's that's the thing with golf. Like I, I'll get better eventually if when I ever retire, if I ever retire, which in this business, I don't know if you know, you, you don't have to retire. But yeah, the golf thing, it's it's the time, the money, the energy. And gosh darn it, man, it's 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 what a what a mental um what a mental I can I can I say a better word? Is that I don't want to say Oh yeah, it's so whatever um, you want. 
Yeah, I was gonna say mental fuck when you're out there because <laughs> what's interesting, sorry, because you know, it's funny is the more the more you want to play, the more lessons you get. Your expectations kind of go from zero to sixty, right? You're gonna pick up golf clubs for six months. You're gonna go out there and do decent, right? And then you get the bug, right? You want to be the big dog. You want to invite a couple clients, take two good lessons, go to the range two times, and you go out there and you completely shit the bed. Yeah, that is my life and kind of like a five second microcosm. But golf is what a frustrating sport, man. I'm going to tell you something else I noticed about golf back when I played some, not a ton, but enough to get decent at it. It really also depends on the level of course you play. I could go out on a muni course that was just all flat, no hills, no water, six par threes on it. And I could, yeah, I could do pretty well. And then you go to one of these, uh, we've got a course in Birmingham that's uh, an RSA Marriott state teachers retirement of Alabama course. And they've played, they play the senior tour there where they get to ride. That that sounds legit. Well, yeah, it's, it's a fairly legit golf course, but it's supposedly one of, if not the longest course in the U S like it's every hole's a, you know, par five, that's 600 yards long or whatever. Yeah. That's lots out for me. I'll be out there all day. I mean, the problem is if you don't, fortunately I've actually been invited to a few prominent golf courses but because i don't play golf mm-hmm. like what's the difference right, right. It, it's it's it, it doesn't even matter i'm just trying to not lose golf balls but i'll tell you one little ridiculous golf story and i don't know if, if you've ever done this before you can relate but i got invited about a month ago we went to succession south carolina which is apparently a really beautiful place golf course we got invited by actually a, a client of ours went up there with uh fernando and doug partners what's interesting enough is i've never played golf before with a caddy right i've never actually walked the golf course so the, the the most stressful thing in the world was you're walking the course we had our caddy how they kind of learned a little lay of the land these guys are obviously good but the most frustrating part is i look back and the group behind us is looking at us so that's four golfers four caddies behind us another four that's 16 people watching me swing a golf club that's a problem because that's the biggest audience i've ever had in my entire life swing a club to also make things worse what the caddies do Scott, the guy hands me my driver. Good guy, by the way. I tipped him very big after this this 18-hole debacle. The guy hands me the driver. What's he doing? He just assumes I'm going to hit it straight, right? Sure. So he just takes off. Just I'll see you out there. 250, right? Hands me the driver. Don't do that. So I'm panicking because I look behind me. Guys are watching me. I look forward. My caddy's walking straight. So all I'm thinking is like, please, God, just hit it straight. Like, don't do something ridiculous. So as he's walking out there... And I'm going first too. So I got my two partners behind me and they suck as well. I go up and I hit and I hit a ground ball to short. So I don't know how that, you know, baseball reference, yeah. just completely chunk it, hit it about 50 yards to the left. My poor guy, I see him. This is how we start our relationship. He's already like 150, 175 in front of me. He puts the golf clubs down. takes a dead sprint. <laughs> he takes a dead sprint back to me, bring me in a hybrid. And I just, I could not recover mentally from that. Because he keeps walking up, and then I'm scared to shank it. So right. just if I ever do that, it's it's a little stressful experience. I, I need to get better at golf. Could you could you not have like when you saw him walking uh, out in front of you as you're setting up for your tee shot, been like, hey man, can can you come here for a second? You you no, don't no, he, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do I, that. It, it, it's assumed. It's like you know, I, I was yeah. wearing again wearing golf pants, got sure. the hat, got the gear. I looked the part, so maybe yeah. he kind of fell into that trap. But it's just assumed they hand you the club and they just take off because their job is to pace the play. That guy's going out there, no carts. And I just, I mean, it was terrifying. I mean, it, 16 people watching me swing a driver on the first hole is as terrifying. I've, I've never been, I haven't been that nervous as like God knows when, prom maybe. Who knows, man? Well, they, they say that anybody who has ever played like a pro-am that's not a go- professional golfer, like an athlete, that that is the most stressful thing is when you set up on that first tee and you've got people on either side of you oh my and you're, God. and you're not, a, and you're not a very good golfer, but maybe you play middle linebacker for the New York, you know, giants or somebody. Then you're just like, guys, y'all might want to back Everybody might want to duck. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're in literally you're, you're a target. That's risk management. One one as an agent, you got to tell people you need to duck or, or get out or where's your waiver. I'm surprised I haven't hit anybody seriously playing golf. Well, let's give these agents today some stuff that they need to know about. And the first thing I want to talk about 
we talked for a long time before we came on this podcast, but there was something that I didn't even get to get to uh, that I want to ask you about because last week, I believe you talked to uh, Clinton or in my office, y'all, y'all talked on the phone for a little while. And he told me something that I think all these agents need to hear about. And I, I think that I mentioned it this weekend at the uh, insurers of Tennessee conference. I can't remember if I did or not, but I found it to be extremely interesting. Clint told me that you told him because you guys were talking about social media and the, you know, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. He, he told me that you said to him on the phone last week that the one unintended consequence that you have realized from all this social media that you guys are putting out, this great video content, Instagram, all all this stuff that you guys are doing, that the biggest unintended consequence that you have found is it has made it so much easier to recruit great talent to JAG Insurance, that you guys have got people coming to you that are extremely talented people that have found you off of this social media platform that you guys started. Yeah, it's, uh, he's 100% correct. And it's it's something that unintentional sense, because again, we're all in the attention space. We all want to sell insurance. We all want to make money. Well, I think we're all salespeople in general. And as we kind of went down this rabbit hole, we invested heavily thinking like, with the intention, what I walk into a, maybe a business owner, I call a prospect, I walk into a boardroom, we can eliminate that resume play and, and you can c- kind of get that connection, hopefully get to that sale, remove that resume issue, right? That we all kind of have of, oh, I've met you before, right? right. The co- that that kind of instant connection, which that ha- has happened, but it's hard to kind of figure out what your uh, ROI is on that. Mm-hmm. But, but I can tell you when I look around and our staff and the conversations we're having, it definitely has helped attract employees as far as, Hey, look, that might be a good place to work at, right? Most of the interviews and and people don't bring it up initially, but maybe that second meeting, or I had a conversation yesterday with a, with a newer employee. We talked about, Hey, and, and I asked him point blank, like as a business owner, what I'm trying to make a better point of, um, no matter where we're going is any new employee, they start that week. I try to take them to lunch or at least have coffee with them and just kind of connect as a business owner and get to know them. And, and the question becomes, hey, how'd you get here? And the question more and so forth was, hey, I follow you guys on social media. Mm-hmm. I saw you saw some of your videos. I just kind of felt it was a cool, kind of a cooler place to be at. That's even a word. That's a term cooler. But what happens is when they start looking at two, three different interviews, that kind of put us on top, right? It kind of gave us a little bit of an edge. And I think it's like that connectivity that we wanted to aim to future prospects that we want to sell to. We actually been talking directly to other insurance people at other agencies that maybe weren't so happy. And it's it's been a, a really indirect, but but probably the biggest success of our social media play mm-hmm. is employee. We we haven't, I mean, look, it's an issue finding people and, and every and especially post-COVID, but it's it's given us a little bit of a leg up. That's a hundred percent. Right. Well, I, I could see that. And by the way, I think congratulations are in order for for all of you down there, because if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong. Did you not, did JAG Insurance not just get named as the or one of the top ranked businesses in Miami to work for? Yes. Thank you. It was, it was a, the South Florida Business Journal. It's a business magazine down here, right. um, which, you know, they had different tiers as far as, you know, certain categories, large, small, medium businesses, but we have. And look, a lot of it, hundred percent. As much as people don't believe, I don't know, I don't know why they don't yet mm-hmm. about social media and the ability of, of of why this platform works. I think a lot of stuff that that's helped us is that, like whether it's getting attention on it, like the video and and video specifically. Everybody can put pictures, but if people can kind of get a little more uncomfortable and show that on that authenticity through video, you're able to connect so much more and like. Some of these accolades come from that because what, right. what do people do though? We might have a client or we'll submit ourselves as maybe want to uh, go up for the award, uh, but they'll look at our social platform and then it kind of puts us a little bit, maybe on top of that, on mm. top of that list, but it works, man. So what we were talking about, and there's going to be some folks turn up the, the, the knob on the old uh, Honda Civic here in just a second when I start talking about this, because this is a hot button topic in the insurance industry. What we were talking about before we came on this podcast today, 
is you started asking me some very fairly pointed questions about pay structure, what we pay our people versus what you guys pay down there. And guys, please don't send me an email saying you're wrong. You need to do this. You need to do that. There, there's no wrong or right answer relative to what you pay people, in my opinion, other than I think you have to pay seasoned veteran people more, especially if they're writing a bunch of business and they're great people. They're the right people for your team. And as I've always told all my people here, regardless of what your job title is, the more you can do, the more you you help, the more you can uh, accomplish while you're here, the more things you can do during the day. And we'll, we'll get to something uh, relative to that that we talked about too. The more money you're going to make. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's life. You know, if you're right. working for Amazon and you can do this, 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 and this, and you're great at technology and you can do that, you're probably going to get paid more than the guy that can just like pick up thing and put it in a box and put it on a truck. Your thoughts on that? No, I a hundred percent that there is no, we, we talked about it before that, you know, and every, every market's different, every agency's different. And, and I guarantee you, nobody has the right answer. We just have a different answer right. that kind of works for us. And, and those answers evolve. I, I think it's, it's a very interesting dilemma we have in our industry being that most people, right? We want to get into this business for the specific reason that insurance does give you that, that renewal and or residual income, right? right. However you want to define it. That, that would be, at least it was mine. And I think most people I talk to, that's your, your ultimate motivation. If not, go sell cars. Like right. whatever it is, like right. That's that's what we're doing it. Now, if that's if that's the goal, how do you number one have a structure where you can take advantage of that, but also have on the flip side still have that carrot in front of you of continuing to grow and mm. and what is what does that growth stand for? You know, the definition of success for everyone is different. It could be quality of life. It could be you know who knows right health. We all have that. It's not just about making money, mm. but. I mean, and me going through this process for, through 15 years from, from starting through a receptionist or whatever, I've done everything and you can, you can talk about an agency. I kind of have this different perspective of, of understanding where, man, how do you, where's that perfect balance where yeah. you want to reward like that Kobe Bryant contract, right? You know, Kobe Bryant got paid, right? For the past performance. How do you keep that, that carrot to what's going forward? Uh -huh. So it's, again, going back to all these sports analogies. It's a very difficult dilemma of number one, how do you recruit, retain talented producers and or right? Some of these, some of the most talented ones want to become agency owners and or ask for equity. And this is kind of like one of those conversations where how do you navigate those conversations that that's fair on both sides? Correct. So my thought on that has always been this. If somebody is a seasoned insurance veteran and they come to work for your agency, they have a track record of success. You know, they can write good quality business and they're a self-starter. They don't need a bunch of handholding. They know what they're doing. You can just have a conversation. Yeah, a lot of times with insurance agents, you just have a conversation with somebody and you, you get a pretty good feel as to whether or not they know what they're doing or not. It's almost impossible to take that person right out of the gate, especially if they had a non-compete at their previous employer that's not very far down the road from you and put them on straight commission because yep. Yep. they don't have any renewals. There's zero renewals. So, uh, you know, it, that's hard to do. But then one thing that I was telling you before we got on this podcast is one thing I've noticed with a lot of my agents that I have in my office, because I do pay them new business commission and, and they do have monthly goals and based on how much premium they sell, they hit different tiers of commission starts at 30%, goes up to 40 and then up to 50%, depending on how much insurance they sell that month. So there's always that carrot there that, Hey, right. if, I, if I sell 10,000 more dollars worth, instead of making 40% commission on this, I'll make 50% commission on this. But one of the issues that I have seen kind of rear its ugly head in my agency is when you have people on salary in lieu of renewal commission, there's not that invested not a, interest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And keeping that renewal. 
Correct. Right. Yeah, there's we, there, we, there's more yeah, emphasis yeah, that, put on that new business than there is on keeping what's on the books. Does that make sense? And that's tough. Yeah, no, it makes sense because obviously it becomes more of a me, 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 right? I, I want to make commission, but the the renewal is what builds the agency. That's where we make our money, right? Short, you know, short term and long term. Uh, but it's interesting how that works. And and I don't, I'm not sure if there's a there's a perfect plan for that, right? Because sometimes too with renewals, depending on the market and the situation. There's a lot of situations that could affect that. So do you grade some of them based on retention? Well, some of it could just be a market issue. Most people sold, you know, you could have huge clients, sold their business, sold their home. How do you kind of antiquate that? Like as far as being fair, that that dilemma is a real dilemma. I, I could tell you something we did. Um, and this is a, a real, we had to change it. And we almost had like a little civil war <laughs> here in our personalized department. You know, we went through this dilemma by, by, where- By uh, the way- before you say what you're going to say, let me tell these insurance agents, write this shit down. What I'm about to say, once you give people something, whatever that something is, go ahead and try to take it away from them and see what happens. Right. You will have a, uh, a civil war, which we had <laughs> about three years ago and, and kind of what happens. And, and again, so we, you know, we're both commercial and personal lines oriented. We have two different, two different structures. You know, our personal lines started growing a lot. And then what we realized as salespeople and even, you know, all of us is we figured, hey, you know what? We have very good, talented people on salary as far as account management staff. Why don't we do this? Why don't we start giving them a little incentive and giving them maybe like a 10% bonus based on new business for personal lines? Why? We felt like that the 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 inbound calls were starting to kind of uh, take our attention away from the commercial stuff we wanted to focus on. Right. right. So kind of risk reward. Do I want to write the thousand dollar account or am I going after the 30? And so we made that that little strategic move. What we didn't realize was initially was great. Right. That that kind of portion started growing. Initially, the camaraderie between the five, our five team and our personal staff at that time. I mean, man, you could I mean, it was like the dream team. They were helping each other. A call came in. I bound an account. It looked like things were, were absolutely flowing. What happened was we didn't maybe do the fine print was that 10% also reflected on growing a renewal book type aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So when we went two years into it, we started looking around and we started saying, hey, this is kind of getting out of control. In a sense, we're very similar. They started grading based on the renewals of their accounts, the ones that they helped out. It got to the point where also too, we had not everybody was carrying their weight. Right. You know, we had one account manager, like my book was 30, 40% higher than the others. And it wasn't fair. And it started creating drama. So we kind of had to scratch that. And, and that little, that little reward that we, I, me and two partners, mm -hmm. agency owner said, we're giving you 10%. They forgot about that too. So you, you made a good point. You made a good comment too, about when you give somebody something. And again, that's a strategic move we can do as agents and or owners to give people, but they forgot about that quick. And we had a little bit of a little bit of a role, a little bit of a of a situation that we had to kind of discuss openly and say we weren't doing it only because it wasn't in the best interest of our agency, and we had to make it more individual. But that was an issue. You may have put about giving. We that was a about four years ago we had that problem. Well, I think the uh, the thing I've always known is if you've got great people and they're doing a great job for you. And when they hired on with you, 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 in their employment agreement, it's spelled out that they're going to get this, 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 and this. And then two or three years later, you go up, oh, we can't do that anymore. We're going to have to take that away. It's almost, and I think I would feel this way personally. It would be almost like a demotion. Like yeah, here I'm no, doing everything I'm supposed to. And here's what my employment agreement says, but instead of making X number percentage on commission, you're only going to pay me this much. I, I do have a question about that though, what you guys came up with, because it sounds like you were close to having something that would really work. Was the 10% that you were paying your staff or, or your support team, your account managers and things like that, was that coming from a combination of like 5% was taken from the producer and 5% from the agency? Or how did you guys do that? It was only from the three principles. So it was okay. only from, from Doug, Fernando, myself. It was kind of like, look, little incentive. We kind, and again, nothing bad about personal lines. I built my career on that, but it, it was more of like, let's kind of punt this a little bit from A to Z, give them a little bit of incentive mm -hmm. so they can kind of step outside their comfort zones. Not, you know, and Run with it A to Z. Here's a little carrot toward the end. That was the initial thought, and and it and it worked. It just got to the point 
where it was kind of got out of control. And then we looked back at it and said, Hey, this is not, it's not mm -hmm. sustainable long-term. Like there's no, you know, again, almost similar to a salary employee looking at the renewals, what oh. they were worried about is keeping, you know, that renewal retention on those accounts specifically. And you can look at it in the system, yeah. right? When we started it, retention is like 99% on the stuff that didn't have a piece of the pie, right? From a bonus structure was down to like 60. And that's when we kind of had to kind of cut that off. So you guys, and this was something I found wildly interesting when I was down there with you, the two or three days that Clint and I came down there and spent with you. So you hire people and I believe your split is 40, 30, right. some, somewhere in that range, 40, 30. But one of the things I found to be wildly interesting when I met with your operations manager was she told me that before you guys hire somebody, you actually kind of go through a financial checkup to see, hey, can can this person hold the rope long enough on straight commission to be able to do this? Or, or is this going to be a problem? Do, do you guys still do that now? Or is that something that y'all kind of put to the side? Well, we do. So at our firm, all our sales people, our producers, they're all in commission only. Right. It's kind of been the one structure that we've always adapted to. It's kind of, we grew up, it's kind of all we know. But that being said, we did run to a roadblock, right? Where we have situations where, you know, we got, we got a lot of people that, and, and I'll, I'll attribute this to our social media side of it. A lot of young people get their 220. We've had a couple of people show up at the front door and say, Hey, I'm ready to sell insurance. Let's go. Great. M most, you know, my younger days, I'd say, Hey man, here's a, here's a laptop. Let's go to work. Doesn't cost me anything. Right. But then we made some mistakes early on that you realize, you know, it's not that easy. You could have the best personality. You could be the most engaging person in the world. But if you don't have product knowledge, man, you're not going to go anywhere in this business. Right. It's just, it's a huge issue. So learning from that early on, um, and, I, and I've told people, I'm not hiring you. Like, you just can't do that. I don't care. Go somewhere else. I, we'll talk about that. I'll spin that a little, 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 little bit later. But what it kind of evolved to is, and we've been, we've been pretty active in recruiting people into the business is... We have a, what we call a tech program where I'm getting the same situation. A lot of younger producers that come in with a 220 that want to get into the insurance business. What we're doing is saying, Hey, that's the case. I'm all for it. I'm going to, you know, if you're going to commit to us, I'll commit to you, but to sign a one-year contract, mm -hmm. that contract requires a minimal salary to be a technical assistant and to work in the trenches. So six months in the personal lines team, six months in the commercial. Right. Now you have your 220 and I tell them, look, if you can sell, if someone, you can make commission, if, you know, between hours, after hours, if you got something you want to write, you can write it, you can service it. But the whole concept there is you get one year under your belt to learn what a certificate of insurance is, right? How do you read it? How do you read a policy? What are the different types of policies are there? And that kind of like grooms them in a sense of like, it makes them more prepared when you're on your own, you can hit the ground running. Because my, my analogy to that, and the only reason why I've seen people fail and great salespeople getting into the insurance business, it's very similar to opening up a restaurant. You can open up a restaurant and you don't know food and you kind of got to rely on the chef, right? To run your restaurant. It's the same thing for salespeople when they got to rely on account management staff who are great people, but are in the trenches every day, but you're working from home, right? Can you right. be self-sufficient with your laptop? Can you go from A to Z? Can you go to a restaurant or an office building or a personalized client? get the app, quote, bind, issue, and tee it up for your team. I mean, the, the best salespeople that I know do that. And that's just the way it is. So we, we've kind of developed into that and it's worked so far. We got three guys that did that kind of path and you could see it now, like it sucked for a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but it, they've been able to tell you now, hey man, like, I, I feel so much more comfortable. I've learned, they, they've developed so much faster. Yeah, I think that's the perfect opportunity for a person, maybe say right out of college, is to come in and be that technical assistant. You know, agents for years, older agents for years have hired people. And I've seen this in, in some agencies where day one, you're you're learning how to take payments and answer the phone at the receptionist desk. You might even be cleaning down bathrooms. And but what that gives you is that base knowledge that you need as you kind of progress in your career in insurance. And you can always go back and say, Hey, listen, you see where I'm at today, but you didn't see me 20 years ago or 10 years ago when I was cleaning toilets or counting the money box at the XYZ agency, when I started this thing, and I'm just putting you through the same 
you know, uh, Marine Corps boot camp that I went through. And I, I think there's something to that. I really do. Now, it's harder to do that when you hire somebody that's got 10, 15 years experience because they're so oh, no, that, 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 that's a different, that's a different yeah. aspect. hundred percent. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, they're not really going to want to start by changing the toilet paper out in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, learning how to count money in the money box or, you know, do the remittance at the end of the day or whatever. I think that, uh, there's no right or wrong answer. As I was telling you, you know, we've got different structures, pay structures for different people in our agency. Uh, I do try to put that carrot out there relative to monthly goals. And, and then if you hit that goal and you go up to the next goal, you get a next, a higher tiered commission so that they, you know, they're always striving to, you know, hit that top tier every month, because that's what you want. You want them to have enough premium on the books that every month that, you really stay in that growth mode. I will tell everybody this, and I haven't shared this, but with my agency operations manager, Justin Miller, uh, I, I was telling top five this right before we got on the show. We have worked out a deal where he gets a quarterly bonus, and it is a tiered bonus based on our growth. And I think that is work is going to work out really well. This was the very first month that well, you know, he got paid for September, well, the third quarter, basically. And I really believe because he's got a vested interest in making sure that each one of the agents in our office hits their goals. So he's working as hard as he can to make sure that every agent's got all the things they need to be successful. He's working with them every week. He's keeping track of what they're writing. And I think that's been really a positive. And, and, and as I was telling you before we got on the show today, and I would echo this to the 250,000 people listening to this right now, I wanted to meet him halfway in terms of what he needed to make to be comfortable. But I also wanted there to be that accountability factor in there as well. And, and I'll tell you who helped me with, it, with this a lot was uh, my friend and great American uh, Mr. Mick Hunt helped me with this. He had he had come up with some quarterly bonus plans for different agencies over the years. So please don't think that I just came out of thin air with that and figured that out. But it's been good no, so it, far. It's a great concept. I never thought about. It's a great idea. But let me ask you: when we talk about the the side of production, right? Mm-hmm. How much is it? Do you attribute? Do you account some of the marketing you do, right? for I protect. Cause that's also another balance too. Like a lot right. of like, how do you kind of track that and, or did this incoming call come from maybe an event you went to in West Virginia, right? Or you went to right. see the other day, like, how do you kind of break that down in terms of, you know, cause I, I think sometimes like it's lost in the shuffle too. Um, right. Again, no right you- way or wrong way of doing it, but there's also this battle too. And I think this fine line of understanding for, we call it from production standpoint, how much is that was organic prospecting on their end or her end? where this came as a result of being through this, this funnel, this vertical we're building. Mm-hmm. And sometimes salespeople get a little bit, a little bit uh, complacent, right? When yep. it comes to that. And I think that's another line too of like, do you need to look at, is it, is it the renewal side you kind of mess with or as far as production goes? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about that too? How you kind of funnel some of that business inward? You know, that's not something that I've given a lot of thought to because in my mind as an agent, somebody who sold insurance for a number of years, it's still my job, even though Scott maybe did some things on our end to create that phone to ring, I've still got to sell that. I've still got to take that person that called in and maybe wanted to quote. I just don't know that I am analytical enough because if I have one weakness, it is by far the analytical side of, you know, tracking, you know, here, this, this lead came in from Instagram. I, I, think, that's, I, I, think, I think that's most, I think that's most, I mean, we're salespeople. I think that's right. most of us as well. Yeah. I know what you're saying, but it, look, look, real talk. This is ego speaking. Sometimes, you know how hard it is to get the phone to ring. Right. Like, and, and Nick, I empathize a lot for like scratch, scratch agencies or people who start their own book of business, start from scratch. Like they, they can be empathized more, you know, for, for the others who kind of go into a firm or an agency who has an established type of name. But it's, it is hard as hell to get people to call you. And that's how you make money, right? right? You can call as much people as you want. But the way you want to make money in this business is you got to get people to call you. 
how you do it, we all got to figure that out in our own ways. Right. But there is a little bit of an ego, too, of saying, man, I'm giving this up. Did they call me? How can I find that out? Because you kind of want to make it hurt a little bit. You don't want to give it away. It's, I mean, maybe that could be me speaking, but it, it does hurt me after 15 years knocking on doors and someone's calling. Like it's, you know, it's almost like giving your, it's like, again, this might be a bad analogy, but I don't care. But it's almost like you started a business and I'm giving it to your kids. Right. Your kids don't understand what you took those 15, 20 years before to build the business, that little bit of a sweat equity where there are no guarantees, right? Well, no and, guarantees. And you know, to that point, now that you bring this up, one of the things that I guess if I allowed myself to ponder on this very long is let's say that you've got a producer in JAG insurance and a lead comes into him, somebody calls, maybe it's a referral. And the reason he got that referral is because five years ago, Louis Gazatua was, let's just say, playing golf on the golf course with somebody, and they they did business with you. And then they told their brother who told somebody else, and now that person's yeah. calling into the JAG. And here's, here's a producer that's kind of like got their chest puffed out, like, man, I got a big account today. And nobody really knows the – that Kevin Bacon seven degrees of separation of how that whole thing kind of shook out where this person told this person about Jag insurance. And then that person told the brother who called the agency. And, and so you're, you're right. There's probably, even though I've never allowed myself to go to that place where I'm like, these some bitches, half of them are writing business. Cause I, I give Justin Miller business all the damn time to supplement him being the operations manager because he doesn't have time to go out there and really, you know, beat the streets and do the things. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons we did what we did is when he signed on with me in March of 2020, he had some very lofty goals that he felt confident he could reach in terms of being an agent. But then when he got in here and we were transitioning to independent, he took on that role of agency manager, which then lessened the amount of time. Because remember, we have all only got so much capacity. And no, it's, it's, and it's hard to do both. Like, you, yeah. I mean, just prospecting alone, it's a full-time job, full-time commitment. Mm-hmm. Going back to like what we we talked about in our previous podcast too, like be careful of that too. When you get stuck on your on your renewal book on this whole treadmill effect, right. how do you continue to grow the business? And that's kind of like that. It's the hidden issue that we all we all kind of deal with. But it, I don't even know what the answer is. I, again, it could be ego, right? But it just I just feel like in most things, if if you're not paying for it, if it doesn't kind of hurt, you're not really taking advantage of it. You're not getting uncomfortable. Not doing those little things. Well, kind of what we're doing now, and this is like a second piece, and this is again no right or wrong answer. You know, we're trying to make an effort. If I'm going to funnel a lead as a as a as a principal to one of our producers, um, we are splitting the commission. Like we're they're, they're getting twenty percent, so we do forty thirty, but they're getting twenty, mm. and that's twenty twenty on them. Right. But what what I'm trying to do is, if you can take that relationship and take it to another level, any new business is forty percent. Right. Really, because what I, what, I, what I want to kind of enforce is not to become a transactional agency, right. but go back into developing relationships and celebrating the relationship, not the sale. So I'm kind of like, and I'm tracking that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the one thing we do. I'll track it. So if I can see kind of that that flourish, some of the agents who are doing a better job of rounding out accounts, um, taking a step back and, and developing that, they're getting some of the more inbound leads we're getting. That's the only thing that I've been able to come up with. You know, I was having this conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago at home and I was telling her, you know, we've hired three new agents in our office this year and between salary and getting them set up with all of their stuff and benefits and all the other stuff we, we pay them, we're losing money on them the first year. You know, yep. no, no doubt we're losing money on them. They don't perceive it that way. They, they even, you know, even the ones that are just selling like enormous amounts of insurance. Well, guess what? They're the, the ones doing that are making 30, 40, 50% commission on that new business. So the agency's only getting half of the new business commission. And I was telling her, I said, here's what you've got to look at is, and I, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise you've got to look at it like, I'm willing to take the hit financially on a really good agent the first year 
if they're writing a ton of business and knowing that I'm the one losing money on them. But I also know that when those annual renewals start popping next year, if we can figure out how to shut the back door, right. Then, then all that's coming back to me. So I, I think, I think as it relates to me looking at, well, I protect insurance and what all we've done over the years to create this buzz of who we are and the community and social media and videos and podcasts and all this other stuff we've done. I think I've just always looked at it like, look, I'm going to give you the new business commission. We got to figure out a way to shut the back door because on the back end for hopefully 10 years, Scott's going to be the one making the money on that. Does that make sense? No, I I mean, yeah, that, that goes to the whole, concept of why we do this right it's this is about the residual side of it here's my next question relative to the industry itself that i just want to talk through with you to see if you're experiencing the same thing we're experiencing up here have you guys noticed based on claim frequency and some other factors uh are you having a harder time with claims property claims going sideways in some instances, even auto claims going sideways. And I, I, I can go, yes, 100%. Now, look, I, I do want to take a step back. And as a firm, we we have invested in, in a risk management department. So we, we have five full-time people in loss control, claims advocacy. So we, we've done a, a really, we've, we've invested heavily as a firm in that. It has helped a lot on, a, on a, some of our commercial business. Um, and a lot, of, you know, you know, but I say that we did that because about two years ago, it's been a little bit, it's been about three years ago when we got into this, I, I feel like we did a little bit of an evolution as far as like an agency goes where so much we would sell insurance and we would sell companies and vice versa, but man, time after time, you know, it was almost like we got disappointed with how the claims were being handled right from the care side. And a lot of it had to do with communication, right. you know, but even more, you know, we start to have these, con- like we were like, we were the firm like five years ago. You know, we write a lot of ENS business, right? So we go through these wholesale companies. Like we're asking wholesalers, you know, Amwins, RT, CRC, you know, hey, who are your claims people? We want to meet them. We want to be different. We want to develop a relationship. Because the truth is, Scott, like once, and every company's done it. Again, I can't speak for some of these admitted companies or captive agents, but they're all going to these third-party administrators. Like everyone's outsourcing claims. That model sucks. It does. I mean, you could tell whoever, whoever plays claims well does claims in-house. A hundred percent. And you can ask people again, every company's different across the country. We do it different, but I could tell you it's like playing telephone with an adjuster. That's why things suck, right? Looking at a, you have a desk adjuster, I get it. But sometimes it's a luck of a draw of like, who do they call to show up to your Palmer property yep. on, a, on a random, you know, Thursday afternoon that almost dictates how your claim is going to be paid. And it's extremely disappointing, mm. extremely disappointing. I have noticed, and I said this years ago, and everybody thought I was crazy, but back when we were an exclusive nationwide agency and they had staff-filled adjusters and, and, a, and a pretty good bit of them here in North Alabama for both home and auto, I hardly ever had a problem with a claim. The adjuster would show up at somebody's house himself. He would answer all the questions that the homeowner had, which was usually a thousand questions. He would, he understood the nationwide contract backwards and front, because that's really the only contract he had to worry about. And I hardly ever got a call from anybody that was upset. I mean, it would happen, but it was very infrequent, maybe twice a year. Uh, same with auto, uh, nationwide had auto adjusters on the ground in, in places like Huntsville, Alabama, that were working all these dealerships and body shops and. And they were available by cell phone or email, or they could meet you at the body shop if there was an issue and go through the estimate and show you how they did it and all this other, all these other things hardly ever had problems with claims. And then where I'm at today, and I I kind of got on my soapbox and vented about this to, uh, uh, the UPP platinum coaching group that I'm a member of last week, I would say where I'm at today is I probably spend 50% of my time as the agency owner dealing with auto and home or property claims that have now gone sideways. 
And yeah. 100% of the time, well, I shouldn't say 100%, 90% of the time, it is that lack of communication that you talked about earlier. A hundred percent. You know, it's funny. If you, if you start talking to some of these adjusters, it, it almost becomes the same way how you talk to underwriters. Uh-huh. It, now we got to start working adjusters as well, right? Because it becomes, for them, it's which file on their desk are they going to give a priority? Uh-huh. Like, man, we've evolved. And this is something that, you know, again, insurance companies tell us we get paid a great commission. We love it. This is why we do this stuff. But this whole assumption that insurance carriers really value our insureds and their partners, that, that conversation has got to change a lot because yep. they do not care. I mean, man, I've had, I've had some pretty like, you know, and again, I'm pretty upfront with everybody, but man, I've had people come to the office, talk about our clients. I'm like, well, well, something bad happens, you, you know, you throw me to the wolves. Like I'm, right. I'm on the front lines with a, with a, with a knife. And they're standing behind me miles away on a horse watching me struggle, man. They don't, they don't care. Hey, right. Good business. Oh, right. but, but by the way, if they have a claim, you know, we might cancel your contract, right. Or you won't right. get any, any profit contingencies. Sure. It's such a one-sided deal and I get it, but at least if you're going to do that, pay a claim, right. Make me look good. Like don't hide behind me, but that I- all goes to my, my theory. And, and again, we can probably look this up. Most companies have shifted to. And if you look at people running insurance companies, they're not really insurance people. They're accountants. And like they're like, oh, this looks like a bottom line number. They, they haven't been in the trenches. I'll give you one insurance company who is the best at paying claims. If you haven't worked with them in the past, um, it's a company called Prime Insurance Company. You know, Prime and their owner, who we, we work with directly, mm-hmm. I mean, they've been around for 30 years. They are by far the best at, at, at working claims. I mean, they're a claims company who sells insurance. But they're the ones that get it. I mean, the owner gets it. I mean, the owner, Rick Lindsay, who's a beast, by the way. You would love him. I'm trying to get him on the podcast with you. Um, Rick is a beast. I mean, Rick will go to depositions to fight claims. Right. I mean, he, he's the guy, you know, if you look at it like uh, from a third party, like, hey, Prime's giving me a hard time. They're the ones that you want on your, like in your fight on the wall. So I'm going to agree one million percent with what you're saying right now we have an increase in claims frequency that's one of our problems we have an influx of adjusters great seasoned adjusters who are leaving the industry and according to my marketing manager with a very large triple a rated carrier as he told me last week, he said, Scott, we are literally hiring adjusters every day, but for every one adjuster we hire, we have another one who is leaving or resigning and, and or retiring or something like that. But I'm telling these guys, listen to me, if you are involved with a carrier in any shape, form or fashion, I understand from the claim side, you are going through hell right now. And you've got adjusters who maybe two or three years ago had seven, eight, 10 claims on their desk. Now they have 30. Right. hundred percent. But, but, but let me say this, the only reason you are in business, we do not have a product to sell. In terms of something you can touch, feel, or taste, you are making a promise that when something does happen, you are going to be there for that person that's paid you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over the years. And it sounds like your friend at Prime understands that that the claims process is the most important process uh, with retaining customers, because if you want to lose a customer, and I've always said this, go ahead and let them have a bad claims experience. They are going to go uh, somewhere else. I, I mean, I, I could tell you, I, I've been in it. So Prime specifically, I mean, they're, they're in the auto space. And I could tell you the way they perform is better than most. Most of their adjusters, and I'm going to quote this, I mean, most of their adjusters are attorneys. I mean, these guys understand especially what it takes. They, they want to, to solve claims as effectively, as fast as possible. And by the way, if they think, if they think it's fraud, they're going to protect you. They're going right. to fight. Like, it's just, they, they understand that this is a claims industry. I mean, and, and, I mean, if I could write more of them, I would. Obviously, not everybody's a fit. 
but at least just meeting with them, working with them, and then seeing how, how other companies just literally outsource everything. They're not living up to the bill. It's just not a priority for most carriers. No. They don't They don't care, Scott. I mean, I, we all know that. We see it. It takes, I mean, should it take seven days to get a claim response and or an ability? And then they wonder why public adjusters get involved, right? It's because, and what I try to tell, I guess, our insurers is like, listen, give the insurance carrier the first shot, right? Give them a chance. Right. Like, give them a chance. Call them. Let's see what they say. If you don't like, smell, feel what's going on with the adjuster they assigned, he showed up, you don't get a response. Then I have no problem with you hiring an adjuster, right? But give them the first shot. But more and more, people are getting impatient. They're just not getting responses anymore. I also believe in my heart that now more than ever, it matters that you have an independent agent who is willing to fight for you, who is willing to answer the phone and listen about whatever this crazy claim situation is. And I could tell you 10 of them right now that I've, I've had two clients in the past month, in the last 30 days that I finally threw my hands up and I said, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm texting you a number to an attorney. You need to call yeah. a damn attorney. Right. I mean, it got to that because point. That's, that's where we are. But as a carrier, that's what you're doing with a unilateral contract, which by the way, is in a court of law, the jury and the, and the judge is always going to lean towards the side of the insured because the insurance company is the one that came up with the contract, right? right? It's a unilateral 100%. contract, but I'm telling insurance carriers from around the world, if you listen to this podcast, I know you're having problems right now with claims. I know that it's hard. I know that y'all are desperately trying to find great people to step in and be, you know, great seasoned adjusters. We have got to get back to carriers having staff adjusters that are out in the field. I know it's going to cost money. I know you guys don't want to do it. I know you don't want to have to buy somebody up whatever the car is that they all ride around in. But I'm telling you right now, what you're doing right now, auto and home side, property side, is not working. The damn pool adjuster pool, the the everybody gets a desk adjuster and all over across the U.S. and they're, they're not even going out to the property and the desk adjuster for an auto claim that's in Des Moines, Iowa and the clients and Huntsville, Alabama, it's just not working. And I think part of the problem is leadership and accountability where you've got all these desk adjusters, probably most of them working from home, and there's just not a whole lot of accountability going on. And like you said earlier about people working from home, some people can do it. Some people are self-starters and they, they, they can get up every morning and, and they can do a great job. Other people cannot. Yeah. And no, I think that's I, I, part of the problem too. It just it just seems like it's it's disappointing, right? When you're yeah. on the front lines um with a face to the clients and then insurance companies, they are not, I don't care what they say, they are not investing as much as they should be in their claim side, right? I mean, if not, why are they outsourcing it? It's to save money. And I get it, right? Why are you gonna face them a full time? Because we might not have as many claims, but that value added, they they've lost sight of what's important, right? That, that contract, right? What's that contract? Let's fulfill that promise. I mean, they're losing more on the back end, but it, it just seems like that's been the trend moving forward. Um, man, even carriers we, here in Florida, um, at Damasad in Florida, we used to harp on them being, you know, they have their own claims team. That was a big sales pitch for us. Right. Hey, when there's a claim, they're going out there. They've gone away from it. They're going to third-party TPAs. Yep. And by the way, I, I, I talked to those guys. Some of them are very good guys. They're just completely overwhelmed, Scott. You know yeah. What's the yep. difference between a what's the difference between a claim or a file between I protect an auto claim or a home from Jag Insurance Group or from X Y and Z? It's just a number, and they're overwhelmed and they're underserved. Like I, I and they're underpaid, man. They don't get paid a lot of money too. That I know. So well, it's it's just a little disappointing. Here's the bottom line, and I said this at a at a a, a big eye conference, or I believe it was a big eye. It might have been a PIA conference I was at not long ago. Here is the, the, the genesis of the problem for me. Never, not in the history of the world, has Scott Howell or Louis Gazatua ever, 
ever had a person with a claim problem pick up the phone and call us and say, well, Scott, well, Lewis, I didn't buy insurance from you. I bought it from XYZ company. <laughs> that is never happened. No, it's never. But it's but never. but but you know what happens every time is the exact opposite of that. Well, Scott, right? I didn't buy insurance from XYZ. I bought it from you. And now so, now my 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 shit's broke and he's telling me he's not going to pay for it or nobody's answering the phone or I can't get them to return an email. And and what these carriers don't understand apparently is nobody thinks about insurance in the United States of America, except all of us, because we do it every day. But Joe Public only thinks about insurance twice. Number one, when they need it and they don't have it, or they, they think they're paying too much. That's the first first time. And then the second time is when they do have a claim, and it is now the biggest thing going on in their life. Right. Now, now that's all we think about is insurance, right? That's it. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it's tough for us right? Because we, we do such a good job as agents up front, selling ourselves, selling us expectations. Yep. And then the shit happens where it's out of our control and we're relying on X, Y, and Z company. You know, we got we to gotta get hit. And I, you know, guess what? So now your service on Yelp is graded because I didn't get my claim paid, right? right? Because, and then there's so much more of a story to it. And this is a huge problem. It, it's just, it, that is actually the reason why if I had to pick a the, the one thing I dislike and or hate about the insurance industry is that. Yeah. hundred percent. Hey, top five. I had a lady and I will get off the podcast in just a second, but I got to tell everybody the story. So I was going through what you and I just talked about last week with a group of agents, probably 15, 10 or 15 agencies. And this lady, it was a zoom call. This lady raised her hand and she goes, well, I got one for you. And I said, <laughs> okay, okay. And she said, Last week, I had a claim that was so bad that the insured called me on a random Tuesday at four o'clock. And he said, if this claim, and I'm not going to say the company, but everybody would know who it is. If this claim does not get fixed by tomorrow at lunch, I'm going to the local news media and I am going to go on television, <laughs> local, <laughs> local news channel. Yeah, and yeah. and talk about this. And he and, and, your, by, and by the way, he was like, "You've been great. You've answered my phone. You, you I'm not. I don't want to." And she's like, "Well, hell, don't do that because that's going to get tied back to me, right? It's not going to be the story's correct. not going to be that XYZ carrier didn't pay the claim. It's going to be somehow they're going to have a picture of my office. You know, or the, you know, this guy took out a policy at Bridgestone Insurance Group and." All of a sudden, I'm going to be the bad guy, and everybody's going to think I'm the one that didn't pay the claim, or that I'm not doing my job. So she was like trying to talk him out of going to the news, the news media the next day. I mean, that's that's the kind of shit we're dealing with right now, dude. It's uh, bad. I mean, uh, on a daily basis, man. I I, I mean, you know, I, I tell my wife, I love getting yelled at. You know, me too. It's just it's it's just one of those things where, but but again, like this is a theme that continues to develop. Like, hey, I, I, you know what? G give me an idea. Do you have any recent experiences where someone wrote a thank you note to the claims adjuster? What a great experience. I mean, tell me the last time that happened. I, I love to know that. Right. So what I tell people, too, is I, I'm almost, and this is sad when it comes to like a, a homeowner's client and we're going through, hey, should I be with this company or that company? I give them, these are my experiences, personal experiences. We're doing the right thing. But I doubt you're going to invite either of them over for Thanksgiving. So let's just get our expectations up front right now. I mean, like, how, why do I have to say that to our clients? And it's a kind of a running joke, right? But all I'm trying to do is put you in the best position to succeed. Right. And it's just a point that we got to get to that. Like, it's just, we're not looking at, let's get, let's do it. Let's do it right. Let's get the claim fixed. Let's make the client happy. And let's get this client on the books for the next 20 years. That's what we want to do it for, right? Not like, not like, hey, let's, let's, let's cancel them because we, you know, we had a $10,000 water damage claim. Well, they fixed it, so it's not going to happen again, right? right? Let's be heroes. It's just, uh, I, I can't stand the claims process, man. This thing's got to change quick. If I can get confirmation, and I'm not saying this is happening, and I know this is going to be very controversial, what I'm about to say, but if I find out that these insurance carriers are paying adjusters bonuses based on not paying claims. I'm going to do an entire one hour podcast on it. 
And because that is breaking the contract, you cannot, as an insurance carrier, start paying adjusters bonuses for not paying claims. There's no way. You cannot do that. And, and I'm hearing rumblings of that, and I'm not going to yeah, say I'm going to do it. I, I, but if I get yeah, proof, I, if I get proof on, in my inbox that that's happening, I'm going to do a one-hour podcast on that. And I, we will see I, what I, happens. You know what I'll do? I'll get it for you. You know what I'll do? I'm going to reach out to some uh, to a third-party adjusting firm. I got some contacts. Let's get them on the podcast, and I think it would be good content specifically breaking down. Now, that's their point of view, and I understand it, but it would be nice to kind of see – them breaking down how it works on their end. Because sometimes, right. I mean, I don't think we're wrong in what we're saying. I right? know we're not. We, I know we're not. <laughs> I know we're not. But it just to be curious to know their point of view. I mean, yeah. maybe there's things that they don't tell us as agents we can do better. The hell, there's something that we can do better that makes us, you know, maybe move on top of their desk as far as, hey, this file is done this way. There's a trick, you know, and or. I, I'd love to find out. But I'm going to go down that rabbit hole as well. I, I'll get you proof. If I can find it. I'll definitely get you proof. Well, there's two things we can do, and I'm here to offer solutions, not just problems. And, and I learned this from being with those agents last week and already being on my soapbox about this. Two things you can do. Thing number one is when somebody calls into the office to file a claim with your claims manager, set the expectation. Hey, Claims frequencies is, is up that we've got a, some issues with, with, uh, the number of claims that are out hanging out there right now may take a little longer for somebody to be in touch with you, you know, set that expectation on the front end of the initial claim filing. And then the second thing you could do is do exactly what Jag insurance has done and hire claims professionals that when stuff starts going sideways, it kind of gets, you know, bumped over to them. And, and, and now they're, you know, they're, they're trying to handle it and then they know what they're doing and they've got contacts and those types of things. But, and, and, uh, and I want to make a, um, and a point on that. And again, everybody's in different situations. So we've kind of evolved into having a little more in depth on the claim side, but even if so much of this is like you mentioned too, is communication, even if it's hiring somebody just to, follow up, right? Mm -hmm. Whether the claim gets filed, making sure someone identifies the, the claims number, who the adjuster is, to our insured, mm -hmm. communication on both insured. It, like just, it doesn't have to get to that next level. It could be a progression, but I think every agency owner definitely needs to get somebody assigned to claims. And it doesn't be a right. claims expert. It, it, it just could be someone playing, you know, email tag every, every day, right? right? Can I get an update? That's what's happened. Like on cars, you know, so many times it's he said, she said, you know, they call the body shop, the body shop called the adjuster, they called the insured, they call you, got five people involved, nothing's happening. So much right. of that is just the, and that's why we use the word claim advocacy a lot. Right. I, mean, I think that position is just someone being there for the insured and making sure the communication is, is, uh, is going both ways from the carrier adjuster and the insured. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, and I love that term claims advocate because for me, that would make me feel better if I've got a $50,000 water loss at my house. I can't get in touch with the adjuster. He won't email me back. I don't know what I'm supposed to do I'm in, in terms of what he wants. And somebody said, hey, Scott, we've actually got a claims advocate that I could put you with. I could I, That would put my mind at ease a little bit, uh, I think. A hundred percent. And, and yeah. I think the term with the claim advocacy is you're not you're not saying what is covered, what's not covered. Right. You're just delivering the information a lot more efficiently. Right. And making sure everybody communicates, you know, it could be on a water damage claim. There's times the adjuster leaves a message for our insured at the home. If they have people have that anymore, I don't have a cell phone, but the home, you know, the home line, leave a message. They're missing a receipt. Like what's, what's delaying this claims process. And so much is just someone's missing one piece of communication. I, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a must and, it's, and it'll, it'll make you stand out as an agency to your competitors as well. Like you're kind of just, Again, we're to the point, man, we got to do more. The commissioner paying us, they assume they're just going to keep taking chips, chips off the table for us independent agents. We got to fight back. And this is what helps keep the insurance, keep retention as well. Absolutely. That's a perfect, the perfect place to stop. Top five. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you for being on here today. And as I end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out there behind that desk today and go out into the big, bad world. Make money for your family, for your wife for your kids' college fund, for your parents that are struggling out there today. 
go make money for them. Answer that phone, answer the bell. When these guys call guys and girls call you with tough claims problems, that's, that's where you make your money, ladies and gentlemen, not when you take the, the premium or the renewal uh, commission from these people, that's where you make your money and that's where you shine. And you've got to have a process claims process in place, claims advocacy. You know, if, if the carrier's not going to, if the carrier's not going to uh, do better then by God, we need to do better. That's just, right, that's, just how, that's just where this is going to have to land. So go make money for your family, write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. I love you, Top 5. All right, Scott, appreciate you, man. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love you, each and every one of you, and thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com. Or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.